Okay, so we were. So there's the prologue. And we get up to chapter three. Chapter three is called Blackness of Shadow. At sunrise the next morning, Weston and Gavinaw rode to the prefect's manor. They left their horses to graze in a nearby field and walked to the courtyard at the back of his estate. The courtyard was large and beautiful, full of flowering trees and shrubbery that was manicured to perfection. It seemed more like a garden than a courtyard. Many cobblestone paths branched off of the main walkway that led to the manor, each one inviting a passerby to partake in the beauty. The cool morning air was crisp, and the full light of the day was not yet upon them. The morning dew became a mist under the warmth of the coming day and rose from the greenery to place them as obscure figures on the canvas of a piece of masterful art. Dad, huh? what is a prefect? Um, I don't know, really. Um, Maybe we should look it up. Well, yeah, let's look it up. Prefect, what is a prefect? Or you could just look up deaf prefect. Yeah. In some schools, a senior student authorized to enforce discipline, a chief officer, magistrate, or regional governor in certain countries. Yep, that's it. That sounds right, huh? Okay, get my candle. Cobblestone paths branched off of the main walkway that led to the manor, each one inviting a passerby to partake in the beauty. The cool morning air was crisp, and the full light of the day was not yet upon them. The morning dew became a mist under the warmth of the coming day, and rose from the greenery to place them as obscure figures on the canvas of a piece of masterful art. Just ahead, a man was pacing back and forth near a stone bench off the main walkway. Gavinaw assumed that this was the prefect. At their approach, he looked up and beckoned them to come. There, they were still some distance away when the peace of the courtyard was shattered by the presence of evil. A huge, ominous form stepped from the shadows of a nearby shrubbery onto the walkway between them and the prefect. His sword was drawn, and Gavinot instantly recognized the mark of Lucius on his armor. The prefect gasped and turned white. Gavinot could tell he wanted to run, but did not dare. A branch as thick as a man's arm hung in front of the warrior, obscuring, obscuring some of his form. The warrior growled and made one powerful slice with his sword that cut the branch clear.
clean through, exposing all his horrific grandeur to Gavinar and Weston. The warrior turned and pointed his sword at the princess. You fool, Fergustine, did you really think I wouldn't know? The prefect cowered in fear and became like stone. Gavinar sensed the fear rising in Weston, for he had never seen a shadow warrior before. Gavinar fought back his own apprehension. His previous encounters with such brutes had been devastating. But then he remembered the words of the prince. Not even the forces of the dark night will prevail against you. Gavinar spoke in hushed tones to his comrade. Do not fear, Weston. The prince is with us. The shadow warriors turned back to face them as Gavinar and Weston drew their swords. This city belongs to me. I know who you are and why you are here. Leave now or I will kill you and hang your body in the city streets for all to see. The shadow warrior's raspy voice was an unnatural sound in such a naturally beautiful place. Gavinar felt a surge of strength pulse through his muscles as he brought the power of the prince to the forefront of his mind. A burning indignation ignited his soul at the presence of the evil before him. He set his eyes upon the warrior and did not hesitate as he stepped forward with the confidence of one who knows that his life is in the hands of a man a thousand times more powerful than the warrior before him. Gavinar spoke as he approached. Hear this, warrior of the dark night. You are an enemy of good, and you pervert the ways of the king. By the power of the prince, you shall be destroyed. The warrior was momentarily momentarily stunned by such a reply, and the wrath manifested in his and the wrath manifested in his face faltered. Weston followed Gavinar, but the pathway was too narrow to stand beside him. Gavinar rushed upon the warrior, and a clash of steel resounded throughout the courtyard. The warrior recovered his fury and unleashed a volley of wild cuts and slices on Gavinar, but the skill of Gavinar's training did not waver. He deflected the blows with perfection and felt a rush of power in his blade like he had never felt in any other battle. Within a few moments, Gavinar knew the movements of the warrior so thoroughly that his steel arrived in a defensive position before the shadow warrior could finish a cut. Gavinar predicted the brute's next attack, deflected it, and spun full circle with the sword so quickly that the shadow warrior did not even see the deadly slice that cut through his torso and ended his life. The dark warrior collapsed on the cobblestones with a thud. Weston circled behind the shadow warrior to protect the prefect. By the time he had maneuvered into position, the fight was over. 
Weston Gavinoff, coach the Prefect, who had not moved and was still stunned by what he had just seen. When they stood before him, the man fell to his knees and grabbed Gavinoff's feet. You have saved me. You have saved us all. We shall be your servants forever. Gavinoff knelt to lift the Prefect by his arm. Prefect, stand up. We have not saved you. The prince has done this thing. Serve him and him only. There you go. Okay. You can take it, buddy. Take it, buddy. You got it? Just put in a dry. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Okay. Prefect stood and looked at Gavinon. I heard of your visit to our city and the words you were speaking. I hardly dared to call you here, for I feared for my life. But I was a living, dead man anyway. Tell me of the prince that I might believe. The prefect brought Gavinon Weston into his manor and gathered his servants and other city leaders to hear their words. From that day forth, the city of Cumbria became a strong haven of the Knights of the Prince, a beacon of light in the whole region. They remained many days with the people and trained hundreds of men and women in the ways of the code and with the sword of the Prince, knighting all who believed and were willing to follow. After many days, Gavinon Weston departed from Cumbria with a promise to return and a charge to continue the work they had begun. They followed the coastal roadway for a time and then set their path toward the city of Santioc. <laughs> they had heard that the people there were devoid of hope for a prime commodity of the city was the souls of men and women, which brought gain to many and pain to many more. Chapter 4 is called Chains of Despair. Gavinon Weston entered Santioc in mid-afternoon. It was a large city that was a hub for merchandise and trade in the region. Near the center of the city, a mass of people had gathered for a slave auction in progress. In this region of the kingdom, such barbaric practices were common. The slaves were taken from all regions of the land, and Santioc had become the center of the slave trade. Gavinaw and Weston were aware of this, but experiencing the culture firsthand was demoralizing. As they approached the auction platform, Gavinaw and Weston could hear the voices of crude men bartering for human lives. And Gavinoff felt the anger rise within him. Weston grabbed Gavinoff's arm. Remember, Gavinoff, they do not know the ways of the prince. They have lived in this darkened condition since the beginning of the kingdom, Weston said, seemingly aware of Gavinoff's intense emotions. Gavinaw looked at Weston and relaxed slightly. Even as a noble knight, he would have found the practice of slavery abominable. 
but only with the enlightenment of the prince did he care about such things beyond the borders of Chessington. Now that Gavinoff saw all people as equal in the eyes of the king, what was happening before him was appalling. They rode near the auction and dismounted. Gavinaugh was amazed at how efficient the leadership of Santioch had become in this barbaric business. The main thoroughfare was crowded with people from all across the region. The traders and their slaves were cordoned off in a holding area, each waiting his turn for the auctioneer to sell the bounty of stolen human lives. The city's leadership received a fee and a commission for each sale as payment for organizing and hosting the trade. Their own guard force kept the whole affair orderly and also served to deny any other such trades from occurring within this region of the kingdom. Their monopoly was efficient and rewarded both the slave traders and the people who purchased slaves within the city. The fate of the slaves themselves varied greatly. Some became servants at large estates. The stronger men were often put to work on large farms or even at the walls of a castle lord. A few fortunate ones were taken to a distant place where they reputedly served as entertainment and vicious tournaments to the death. Gavinaugh struggled with being near such base treatment of people, but realized that only, that only the compassion of the prince could ultimately abolish such detestable practices. A sale had just finished, and the auctioneer motioned to a guard to bring the next slave forward. A large man in shackles was taken to the front of the platform. Here is a fine specimen of brawn that is well suited to labor on any estate. Sir Boron, I hear you are in need of an extra hand. What a fine opportunity for you today. Or perhaps we have a buyer from the Sia looking for a swordsman to entertain his crowd. I tell you, this is one of the best across this platform in months. The bidding will start at 50 florins. Response from the crowd was apparent that this was an unusually high starting bid. A wealthy man nodded and the bidding began. After an exchange of bids between the wealthy man and another man with unfamiliar attire, the deal closed at 125 florins. The slave trader smiled broadly in anticipation of his profit. Gavin and Weston worked their way to the front of the crowd as the next slave was brought in onto the auction platform. A young woman with long brown hair that was twisted and gnarled was pushed to the front of the platform. Though her head was lowered, she glanced, glanced briefly at the crowd, and Gavinoff saw bitterness and hatred emanating from the depths of her soul. The shackles on her feet and wrist had worn the flesh beneath raw. The guard pushed her the last few paces, and she turned toward him as if to attack. The guard put his hand to his sword. She finally turned away and took a 
final step forward. Once at the front of the platform, she stared at the planks beneath her feet, her hair nearly covering her face. Her body was thin, and a tattoo and a tattered dress hung loosely from her frame. The crowd began to chortle, and the auctioneer struggled to find the right words to begin. Settle down, and let's get on with business. Who will open the bidding at 20 florins for this uh, excellent worker, he asked. The crowd roared in laughter. Why is everyone laughing? Gavinaw asked the fat fellow he was standing next to. He had asked twice since the man's own laughter was deafening. His double chin jiggled with each guttural expulsion. That's crazy, Kina. They couldn't pay someone to take her. He laughed all the harder. The auctioneer tried to settle the crowd. Ten florins is a steal. Who will start at ten? Gavinaw questioned the man further. Why not? You're obviously not from these parts. Crazy Kina has run away a hundred times, and she even stabbed her last owner. He pointed to a man standing near one of the slave traders. His arm was bandaged, and the anger on his face was evident. She's been sold a dozen times and beaten dozens more. But quite frankly, no one dares buy her, because she's a vicious creature. I'm surprised she survived this long. The auctioneer lowered the bid to five florins. The man laughed even harder. So did the rest of the crowd. Gavinaw could stand it no longer. He broke from the crowd and walked into the open space before the waist-high platform. The crowd hushed somewhat. Are you making a bid, sir? The auctioneer asked. Gavinaw looked up at the pathetic young woman, but her eyes were now blank and empty. She turned to face the people. People of Santioch, I am Sir Gavinaw from the city of Chessington. The king of Arethrae never intended for people to be bought and sold like cattle. What you are doing here is wrong. Guards, the auctioneer called, and four men brandishing swords came from each side of the platform. The tension escalated quickly, and the crowd began to murmur. There was no hesitation in the approach of the guards. Weston stepped forward to intercept the two guards coming from the left and drew his sword. Gavin did so as well, contending with the guards from the right. I was hoping for a little different response he said to Weston over his shoulder. Weston glanced back. I could see that traveling with you is going to continue to be an adventure. The guards immediately brought their swords to bear on them. Gavin and Weston fought back to back as the guards spread their attack. The crowd backed away to allow room for fighting and twittered with excitement. Swords flew swiftly to meet each slice and cut. The guards found themselves in a fight against two superbly trained swordsmen who did not falter. Gavinaw met the slice of one guard with the flat of his blade, countered to put the man in retreat. 
and brought his sword powerfully across to his other opponent. With a quick thrust, he pierced the sword arm of his opponent just enough to cause him to withdraw. He then focused on his remaining opponent. He feigned a retreat, and the guard executed a thrust at Gavinoth's chest. Gavinoth parried and put a bind on the guard's sword that wrenched it from his grip. Gavinoth made a quick thrust to put the man in retreat, which kept the man from recovering his sword. He turned to help Weston, but one of his opponents was already backing away due to, due to a wound in his thigh and the other seemed hesitant to engage again. The auctioneer motioned across the street to a reserve of guards that began making their way through the crowd. Gavinaugh jumped onto the platform and held his sword high in the air. Citizens of Santioch, what gives you the right to consider yourselves more worthy than any of the slaves here? Is it your wealth? Is it your might? If I were to challenge any here to a duel and defeat them, would I not then be mightier than he? Does this give me the right to rule him as his owner? If so, then who here will challenge me? The crowd was silent, and the slave lifted her head to look at Galvanoff. He glanced toward her and noticed that her blank stare was gone and her eyes were now angry and penetrating. Gavinot turned to the auctioneer and pointed his sword at him. At that, the guards halted their approach. You, what gives you the right to sell people and not yourself be sold? Gavinot felt the fire of the prince flowing through his veins. There is none more mighty in all the land than the king himself and yet he gives all people of Eretria the right to choose their own course. I am a free man, and yet choose to serve the king because he is good, just, and honorable above all. Listen and understand. When the kingdom turned away from the king, he sent his only son to come to this wretched land and teach us of his great compassion. So great was his love that the prince gave his life as a substitute for what we ourselves deserve. Now he lives and will come again to the land as our king. Open your eyes and accept the truth. Gavinoth sheathed his sword and walked to the young woman in shackles. Whether prince or pauper, nobleman or peasant, free man or slave, the king sees all as equal and does not respect any because of wealth or position. He looks for true nobility in the hearts of men and women. For this reason, I implore you to follow the ways of the king and his son. Gavinal lifted his arm toward the young woman named Kima. Free your slaves and show compassion to your fellow citizens as the king has shown his compassion to you. Some in the crowd were moved by emotional words, by the emotional words Gavinoff spoke, but many began to ridicule and taunt him. Throughout his oration, Kina's eyes never left him. 
You are as crazy as Crazy King Nuts, one man shouted. Go back to Chessington and keep your foolish notions to yourself, another shouted. Off the platform. The auctioneer stepped forward and held up his arms. Perhaps this good man is right. The crowd quieted. Many looked surprised. Although profitable, this is a detestable business we are in. He motioned for the guard with the keys to approach. Gavinoff sensed the sarcasm and saw 20 to 30 guards gathering nearby. To show good faith in our intentions to honor the king in this man's eloquent speech, we shall begin releasing our slaves right now. The guard began unlocking the woman's shackles. She was still staring fiercely at Gavinoff. By the king's authority, I release this slave to your care, he exclaimed as the last binding fell from Tina. She did not move. The crowd laughed and resumed their heckling. Gavinoff was not angry, but felt pity for the woman, for the people, for the whole land. They did not understand that the consequence of their folly would be great. He walked and stood before Tina. You are free to go, he said gently. Tina looked into his eyes with an anger Gavinaugh did not understand. She lifted her hands and looked at the raw rings about her wrists. Then she reached back and slapped Gavinaugh across the face with all her might. The crowd erupted in laughter as Tina jumped from the platform and frantically pushed her way through the crowd. Once clear, she ran down the open street. By now, a full contingent of guards had surrounded the platform. Leave at once or you will die, the auctioneer commanded. Gavinaugh jumped from the platform. He and Weston exited peacefully and retreated to their horses. They are all fools, Weston said. Not all, came a voice from behind them. Gavin and Weston turned to see that four men had followed them from the crowd. We heard your words and know that there is truth in what you say. We want to hear more. One of the men said, and the other nodded. The other nodded their agreement. I am Gavinov. This is Weston. I am Turner. This is Aldrich, Denley, and Reed, the man said as he pointed to each of his friends. We will gladly tell you all, gentlemen. Is there a place we can talk? Yeah. Tell me a place. What? Their first names sound like good last names. They do. Turner. Reed. Denley. Those are all last names, aren't they? Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. Although my grandpa's brother's name was Reed. His first name was Reed. Your 
great grandpa's brother. Or your great great uncle. Grandpa. Or your great uncle. Peepaw would have been your great grandpa. Do you have a great uncle or a great grandmother? Mm. Do you have a great uncle or a great uncle? I think so. Which is your uncle, right? Would be, it would be my uncle, yeah. I think that's a great uncle, but I'm not sure. I get all those that's mixed up. Uncle. Okay. gladly tell you all, gentlemen. Is there a place we can talk? Gavinaugh asked. Yes, just up the street on the left, I have a shop, Turner said. Gavinaugh nodded. Very well. We shall meet you there shortly. I need to find the last that took flight and try to help her. We will assist you, but our chances are slim. She is as slippery as a fish, Reed said. Where might she go? Perhaps to steal food, perhaps to the country. It would be wise if we split up and met back at my shop before dusk. It's just over there, the man said and pointed to his shop. Very well. Gavinon and Weston mounted their horses and galloped in the direction they last saw her run and then split up at the next thoroughfare. Gavinall was confused by the girl's reaction toward him and wondered if looking for her was really such a good idea. He rode by a bread shop and saw the owner, owner swearing and looking up the street. Has a young woman been by? He asked. You mean the wench who stole my bread? Gavinall reached into his pocket for money to pay for the bread. Which way did she go? The man indicated up the street, and Gavinaugh rode in that direction. He slowed his horse to a walk. Can you help me, Triumph? He said. The animal snorted. But Triumph is still. Yeah, he he lived. Oh. Yeah. I thought he. Well, they said he was going to die, but sure enough, he didn't. They put life life on him again. They healed him. Yeah. Mm. A little further up. Triumph stopped between a candle-maker's shop and an inn. Gavinaw dismounted and slowly walked between the wooden and stone structures to the alleyway behind. He could hear two pigs foraging in a nearby heap. Just behind the inn, he saw Kina ravenously eating the bread. She was hunkered down on the ground with her back to him. Would you like some water with that? he asked. 
Dina startled. She jumped up and began to look for a way to escape. Please don't run. I want to help you. He offered her his wa- he offered his water flask to her. Once again she stared hard at him. She cautiously took the flask and drank heavily, never taking her eyes off Gavinoff. She ate and drank some more. Where are you from, Kena? he asked. Not from this wretched place, she said between bites. Gavinaugh could not help feeling great compassion for her. She looked as though she was slightly younger than he. Although she apparently was capable of violent action, he wondered what her story was and how she had come to such a sorry state. Where will you go now? he asked. She looked at him somewhat perplexed. Away, away from here, away from everyone. What will you do? Why do you care? She asked angrily. Gavinaugh looked at her gnarled, matted hair and dirty, bruised face. Her upper lip was swollen and cracked. Dried blood filled the crevice made by a recent strike. Because I have learned from the prince that every soul in the kingdom needs compassion, even a slave girl who hates the world. Kena stopped chewing, and for one brief moment, Gavinaugh saw the harsh lines of anger on her face recede. Let me help you. There's an inn right here where I will be staying. I will arrange for a bath, clothes, and food for you. If you choose to leave, I won't stand in your way. Kena's eyes narrowed as if to question Gavinaugh's sincerity. Something connected in her thoughts, and she slowly nodded her head in agreement. He waited for her to finish the bread and then took her to the front of the inn. As they passed by Triumph, he nickered and went to Kena. She stopped and stroked his neck. The horse nudged her affectionately. I think he likes you, Gavinaugh said. Kena didn't reply. She leaned on the horse and rested her head against his muscular neck. Triumph responded gently and allowed her to take comfort from him. In the end, Gavinaugh made arrangements with the innkeeper and his wife. They seemed fair and kind, although they were somewhat cautious regarding Kena. Once she is fed and clean, give her a room with a soft bed to sleep in. Here is payment through tonight, he said. They accepted his money, and he left to find Weston and the other men. Back at Turner's shop, the four men listened anxiously to Gavinaugh as he told them of the story of the prince. There was a yearning in their hearts that was evident by the sparkle in their eyes. In this dark corner of the kingdom, Gavinaugh and Weston found men of hope and courage who longed for the truth that would transcend the despairing pit of commonality. He told them of the past and of the future, and also of the silent, raging battle between the forces of the prince and of Lucius. What you tell us is glorious to hear. What must we do? Reed asked. Simply believe, tell others, and prepare. 
You must train for battle against the Dark Knight and his shadow warriors, Gavin replied. But we know nothing of warfare, Turner said. We will train you to become Knights of the Prince. In our absence, you must continue what we have taught you and increase your knowledge and skill with the sword. Gavinos said, Such a choice may cost you everything, but the freedom and joy you will gain in your service to the king and the prince will be more precious than gold. Are you willing? We are, they replied in unison. Gavinon knighted the four men and the haven at Santioch was begun. Hey kiddos, what could knighting the four men be compared with? Yes. And I know what um they go into all the cities in the havens. The what? The havens. Oh yeah. Seven churches. That's right. The seven churches. Mm-hmm. By the day's end, the passion of these four men to learn the art of the sword and to live by the code was invigorating. They determined to meet each day to continue training. What of the slave girl? Aldrich asked Gavinoff. She is at the inn. I arranged for food, clothing, and a room to sleep in tonight, he said. I'd be surprised if she is still there in the morning. Why do you say that? Kavanaugh asked. Because from what I have heard, she has tried to either run away from or injure every master she's ever had, Aldrich replied. I am not her master, and she is free to leave at any time, Kavanaugh said. Weston and Gavinaugh returned to the inn for the evening meal. Gavinaugh knocked on Kina's door, but there was no response. Our supper is prepared if you would like to eat. He spoke to the closed door, not sure if she was even in the room. Okay, we're going to stop there. No, please. No, we can't. That it's too late. It's so late. Please. We got to go, go, go. Please. We got to go. Please. Yeah, no, that's that, that.